Well, great to see you today in New City Church. However you might be joining us on campus or online, we're really excited to have you here. Last week, we started a brand new series entitled Beyond. We're looking at the book of Acts, specifically chapters 6 through 12 in this series. And so if you have a copy of the scriptures or you have your phone with you, turn them open or turn them on to Acts chapter 6, and we're going to continue our series beyond today. Acts chapter 6 really marks the beginning of the gospel witness expansion from beyond Jerusalem and into the ends of the earth, to Judea, Samaria, from beyond there. And it also marks the beginning of the spread of Christianity from primarily former Jews to include Gentiles, people of all places um, in all different backgrounds, expanding beyond uh, Jerusalem. So in last, last week in Acts chapter 6, we were introduced to seven different leaders that were uh, added to the number of leaders in the early church. And we talked about the fact that growing churches have growing challenges. Do you remember that? And we said that it, that's true in uh, all kinds of organizations and businesses and communities, uh, in families, growing families have growing challenges. And here's the other thing, growing people have growing challenges. And the reality is this, that people who aren't growing have challenges uh, that, that point to their lack of growth. Organizations that are dysfunctional have dysfunctional challenges. Churches that are dysfunctional have dysfunctional challenges. So I'd rather be a growing church with growing challenges, a growing person with growing challenges. And that's what we see on display in the early church. And the answer to many of those challenges for the church is to find more leaders. And again, last week we were introduced to, to seven leaders. We're going to look at the stories of, of two of them. But we talked about last week how leaders always find other leaders. Do you remember that? If you missed it last week, go back and listen online because it was a very important message as we started the series. Leaders always find other leaders. In other words, you should not be going alone. You should always have people to your left and to your right who are coming with you. And leaders don't go alone. They bring other people with them. And moreover, leaders make space for other leaders. And that's what we see busy happening in our text, that the apostles are making space for future leaders. So not only should you have people to your left and your right journeying with you as leaders, but you should have people behind you that will one day take your place. These growing challenges that the church has are overcome. And in Acts chapter 6, we see with leadership they're overcome, and because of those challenges, it actually positions them to go even further. And that's a great principle for each and every one of us, that the challenges that we're exp uh, experiencing in our lives, the challenges that are uh, pressing in on our families, on our city, on our church, those challenges can become catalyst for further growth. If they're handled with a, in a godly way, they can actually become an opportunity to grow even more. And we talked about last week in the context of marriage that a good, healthy marriage is one that learns how to overcome and face challenges. And the same is true in organizations and in churches. And so Luke reminds us that because this challenge is overcome with great godly leadership, that because of that, the church multiplies. The word of God increases, Luke says in Acts chapter 6, and the number of disciples multiplies. And we talked about last week that that's the first time that word multiply is used in the book of Acts. In other words, that challenge set them up as a catalyst to multiply and, and gather even more people into the church. And the same thing can happen today when we uh, face our challenges, challenges instead of avoiding them. And when we ask for wisdom, and we get more leadership around the table, uh, God shows up and honors and blesses that, and we're able to go even further. And in fact, we're reminded last week, look at the text with me, Acts chapter 6, verse 7, that a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And let's not skip over that. 
that the very people that were hostile to the faith, the very people that were hostile to Jesus and the message of the early church are now coming to faith and are joining the church. The apostles, the early church, they passed this internal challenge, if you will, and God gives them an increased expansion and fruitfulness in their ministry. And so this sets the stage for today for the beginning of the geographical and cultural expansion from beyond Jerusalem and Judaism into Judea and Samaria to Gentiles and even to the ends of the earth. And all that begins in our text today in Acts chapter 6. And there's three significant events before we jump into the text that you need to know really are the, that are the catalysts and the initiators of this expansion of the gospel from Jerusalem and, and, and primarily people with Jewish backgrounds to beyond to Gentiles and, and all kinds of places. First of all, it's the ministry of Stephen. And we're going to learn more about him today in our sermon, the ministry of Stephen. Secondly, the ministry of Philip. Remember I said there were two of those seven leaders we're going to learn more about. There's two of them, Stephen and Philip. And that's going to be this week's message and next week's message. So, so be here for that in Acts chapter 8, the ministry of Philip. But then finally, the conversion of Saul of Tarsus and the beginning of his ministry. And we'll be introduced to Saul for the first time today, actually, in our text. These three characters, if you will, and the surrounding events that go with these three men, God used to orchestrate to take his gospel beyond. And so I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter six and let's look at verse eight and start there and let's get to know a man named Stephen and how God used him in a just amazing way to take the gospel beyond. Acts chapter six, let's begin in verse eight and we'll read through verse 15. And Stephen full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. Verse 10. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and they seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him said that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Verse 15. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word to each of you today. Luke mentions in Acts chapter 6, six different features of Stephen's character and his ministry. The first is that he, look at verse 5, he's full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And then he's also, uh, Luke reminds us, he's full of grace and he's full of power, verse 8. Stephen is a person who did great wonders and signs among the people. In fact, he's the first person mentioned after the apostles who's able to do great signs and wonders among the people in the name of Jesus. That's very significant. And then finally, Stephen is a man that is full of wisdom, verse 10, Acts chapter 6. The great character of Stephen is on display here. And then as an added bonus, just as a plus here, he has the face like a face of an angel, verse 15. 
And I don't think that that means that he was a handsome man. Maybe he was a handsome man, but that's not what Luke is recording for us. In fact, it harkens all the way back to Moses. In the book of Exodus, Moses had the face as one who had been with God. And as Stephen stands before the council, this uh, Supreme Court of Israel, if you will, that we've been introduced to in the book of Acts, they see on his face the face of God. This is someone who has, has been with God. Stephen was chosen, you'll remember, to provide leadership by serving tables of Hellenistic widows who were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food in the church. The Hellenist group were a group of people that were a part of the diaspora who lived outside of Palestine, and they primarily spoke uh, the language of Greek. And so the, the Hebraic Jews, those who were uh, first to understand Jesus and building the, the early church, namely the apostles and the early disciples, spoke Aramaic, and this was a difference. They were different uh, backgrounds, different types of people. And so he emerges, Stephen does, as a Greek-speaking Jew who's now come to Jesus as a dynamic leader in the early church. And this is very important for us to see because he's the first leader from beyond the Hebraic Jews, the, the apostles, if you will, who provide just an, an incredible amount of leadership to the early church. And I want you to recognize where he started in leadership. He was chosen to serve tables of, of widows that were being overlooked. He was a server. And that's what leadership is, after all. For those of us who are Christ followers, we recognize that being a leader isn't being a superstar, it's being a servant. And Jesus models this for us on the night that he was betrayed. He took a towel and a basin and he, he washes the feet of, of the disciples, modeling for us what true servanthood really is, what, what leadership really is, and that is to serve. So for those of you here, to, here today who, who want to be a great leader, who want to do great things for God, that's wonderful. But don't despise small beginnings. Jump in and serve where you're needed, where you're asked to serve. Take a towel and a basin and wash dirty feet. Do whatever's asked of you to serve because after all, all service is leadership. If you serve, you lead. And Stephen models that for us. He starts by serving the tables of the widows that are being overlooked, the least and the last of the group. And God multiplies his leadership because God sees each and every one of us right where we are. And God sees Stephen and he sees his heart, and he multiplies his leadership in a great way. And this is also significant as we look at the character of Stephen because Stephen was a different type of leader. Again, his background was not the same as the original apostles. He was an outsider, if you will. And I think it's very interesting that God uses an outsider to, to preach a message and to display a character that calls the church to think outside to think outside the box, to think outside the group of people that they had already reached, namely the, the Hebrews in Jerusalem. Stephen uh, has a ministry that, that sees beyond and God uses him in a great way. People outside of the normal. And God won't stay in a box, friends. He won't stay in your cultural box. He won't stay in your linguistic box, the language that you speak, or your political box, or any of the boxes that we try to put around the gospel of Jesus. God won't stay in that box. 
And we see here in Acts chapter 6, God busy breaking out of Jerusalem and even the the cultural uh, dynamic of Judaism to go beyond. And he uses an outsider to do that named Stephen. And God wants to use you the same way. God wants to use your background, your hometown, your school, your family, your business. God wants to use not only that, but he wants to use your struggles. He wants to use your hurts, your hangups, your habits, all the things that make you, you. God wants to redeem those and use them to help redeem other people. The Apostle Paul says it this way, we comfort others out of the same comfort that we have received. So what we see here is a, is a man who was on the outside. He knows what it's like to be an outsider. He comes to faith in Jesus and God radically changes his heart and multiplies his leadership. And now God gives him a heart for people just like him who came from the outside. And so Stephen's able to clearly see the implications of the gospel of Jesus on a broader audience, in a broader scope, beyond what was to what could be. And this vision, this vision of beyond is what drew attack from the temple-bound Jews in Jerusalem, and it led to his arrest and his trial before the council. What Stephen, interestingly, what Stephen is asking of the Jews is to, to embrace Jesus because of their customs, that their customs and the way that they've worshiped God in the temple and and the law was meant to point to Jesus. And and amazingly, it's actually causing them to miss Jesus. And so Stephen is testifying and witnessing to them that your customs and your laws and your religiosity are always meant to point you to Jesus. And if they don't, what are they really for? And so they, they can't stand it and they seize him and they bring him back before the council, which again is the Supreme Court of Israel, these, these 70 elders plus the high priest. And let's rejoin the text in Acts chapter seven. The high priest, after Stephen's been arrested and now he's gonna stand trial before this group, and the high priest says to Stephen, are these things so? Acts chapter seven, verse one. In other words, are you witnessing in the name of Jesus? Are you telling people about Jesus? Are you saying that our laws and customs are old and there's a new way to worship? Are you really saying these things? And what followed is known as Stephen's speech. It is the longest speech recorded in the book of Acts. It's 52 verses. I won't read all of it, okay? I promise. But I want you to read it, okay? I want you to read it. And, and New City, as we're studying the book of Acts, we want to we hear the word of God preached. We, we, we want to read it for ourselves. And we want to be in groups of, of others where we can study it together and talk about it together. And ultimately, that, le- that leads to the transformation of our hearts and, and living that out, right? Living that out in front of other people. So let's do that. Read, read the speech on your own, Acts chapter 7. What you're going to read there is a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. And what you're going to see is that although Stephen is facing serious charges from the Sanhedrin with serious consequences, he shows serious courage and conviction to speak about Jesus. He uses the opportunity here in Acts chapter 7 not to defend himself. That would have been so easy, right? And that's the temptation for each and every one of us that when we're put on the spot that we want to defend ourselves. But Stephen doesn't use the opportunity, this platform, if you will, to defend himself. He uses the opportunity when he speaks these words to defend Jesus. 
The word defense is the word apologetic. And what we see here in these 52 verses is an apologetic of Jesus and a call for them to worship Jesus alone. The disciples are carrying out God's plan, Jesus, to all of the world. And Stephen wants these Jews, the Sanhedrin, to see that and to embrace it. He doesn't want them to be a a product of their past, if you will, or stuck in their past, which can happen to each of us. He wants them to use their past and all their stories and their history to, to catapult them into the future. For those of you who grew up in the church or you, you, you learned about Jesus growing up, you learned about all the stories, allow the stories and your past and your history to catapult you into what God has for you today. Don't get caught in the past and what was. Celebrate and honor the past, but embrace what God has for you today. This is the day that the Lord has made. Today is the day of salvation. And we, 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 we honor our past, and our past is a part of who we are and it always will be. But we don't want to get anchored in our past. We want to have our eyes facing forward and looking to the future because with Jesus, the best is always yet to come. Always. Andy Stanley says it this way, when your memories exceed your dreams, the end is near. So listen, I'm a history guy. I love history because I think history helps inform us about about the present and even the future. So we need to know history, we need to understand it, we need to honor it, but we don't wanna get stuck there. We wanna always be looking forward to what God has for us today and even tomorrow. And that's what we see happening here. As Stephen is saying, "Let, let me take you back to all the stories that we know together, all the amazing things that have happened to bring us right here to this moment today, but let's not get stuck there. Let's use everything that God has done back here to catapult us into the future of what he has ahead of us. And so the remainder of his speech, uh, Stephen really takes his audience on a historical journey, if you will. He takes them all the way through their past in order to inform them about their present and even their future. And he begins by referencing, look at verse two here. He begins by referencing God as the God of glory. And that's a direct quote from Psalm 29, verse two. And what's interesting is at the end of his speech, the Bible says that Stephen will look into heaven, will gaze into heaven and see the glory of God. He goes all the way back, follow along with me, chapter seven, to Abraham. So the high priest says, is it true that you're preaching about Jesus? Is it true that you're lifting up Jesus? Just just answer me straight up, is that true or not? And Stephen clears his throat. throat) Let's go back to Abraham. Oh boy. We're gonna go all the way back to Father Abraham someone that we can all agree on, our common father. And here's what Stephen's gonna do, it's masterful. He's gonna use every single patriarch, prophet story to point to Jesus, because they all do. He's gonna remind them that the whole point of the story, the whole point of the Bible that you're holding in your hands today or on your phone points to Jesus. He is the fulfillment of all of it. And so he says, Abraham was willing to depart from where he was, his hometown, in order to go to where? To where God wanted him to be. And you're standing here today in Jerusalem in this place because Abraham took God at his word and followed him into the future. The Jews were not willing to depart from where they were and their own thinking. And Stephen wants them to follow Abraham's example of faith and of courage to step into the future. Then he goes to Joseph and he says, you'll remember Joseph, right? They know all these stories, all of their past history. 
That you remember Joseph. He was exiled into, into Egypt, and God used Joseph. He raised him up, and he actually used him to save Israel in, an, in, a, in a miraculous way. And, and, and in the same way that, that, that Joseph did that for Israel, uh, Jesus came to do for us. He's, he's building his case. Abraham, Joseph, all of them were forerunners of Jesus. Then he goes to Moses. And he says, you know, after all this time in Egypt, this 400 plus years in exile, in, in Egypt, in slavery, God raised up a man named Moses. And he says, Moses' birth was beautiful in the sight of God because Moses was God's chosen redeemer of Israel. And guess what Jesus is? He's the redeemer and deliverer. Then he says, how about King David? He came and established this city and his son Solomon built the house of God right here where, where we are. He, he built the temple to worship God in this place, but they all pointed to Jesus. And then Stephen says, let me just talk about all the prophets, every single one of the prophets that many of you spoke against and some of them you killed. All of them were pointing to Jesus, the righteous one. This historical journey that Stephen takes us on in his speech is intended to reveal to them the parallels between their venerated heroes and forefathers to the ultimate hero of the story, Jesus. Every story and character points back to the author and the perfecter of our faith, Jesus. Interestingly, Stephen only mentions Jesus explicitly one time in his speech. It's in the very last sentence. Let's look at it together, verse 52 and 53. He says, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, capital R, capital O, referring to Jesus, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You received the law as delivered by angels and you did not keep it. And why did you not keep it? Because the fulfillment of the law was the one that you just betrayed and murdered. The law was meant to point you to Jesus, our ultimate salvation and deliverer, and you missed it. And they can't stand it anymore. When they heard these things, look at this verses 54 and following. When they heard these things, this speech, they were enraged. We've heard that word before, haven't we, in our text? They're enraged. They ground their teeth at him. Have you ever ground your teeth before in anger? Ground their teeth in anger. But he, Stephen, full of the spirit, verse 55, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing, and if you have a scripture that you're able to underline, underline the word standing or highlight it on your phones. Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and I see the son of man, here it is again, standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and they rushed at him. Then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when they had said this, he fell asleep. 
in the three trials before the Sanhedrin that Luke records thus far in the book of Acts. Those three trials end with, number one, a warning. You remember that? Peter and John, they're warned. Then the apostles, they're beaten. And now this third trial ends with a murder. The crowd is enraged. And again, that, that language, they, they grind their teeth at Stephen because they're, they're hungry for blood. Nothing else will satisfy. And so the mob, if you will, the crowd does the dirty work of the council as we look at the text here, because actually to kill a man on the day of his trial was against the rules and customs of the council. But they allow this to be violated by the mob. They allow the mob to do their dirty work, if you will, while they look on in approval. But notice this, as Stephen is being murdered, he doesn't look to the crowd, does he? He looks to heaven. The Bible says that he gazes into heaven and he sees the glory of God and he sees Jesus. This was all for Stephen about an audience of one, brothers and sisters. We don't live, we don't speak for an audience of, of, of all kinds of people around us and people that will judge us and some people like us, some people don't like us and living off the approval of the crowd, which so many of us are tempted to do, right? Stephen doesn't do that at all, an incredible example for us. Stephen is living for an audience of one, and we see that here at the very end of his life. He doesn't look to the people who are persecuting him, even murdering him and throwing stones at him to kill him. He looks to an audience of one, to Jesus. And here's the really significant thing that I want you to see as well, and the reason why I wanted you to underline the word standing, because it's the only time in the New Testament that we see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Multiple times we see Jesus at the right hand of God, seated or advocating. This is the only time in the New Testament, and it happens twice right here as Stephen looks up into heaven and he sees Jesus, and Jesus isn't seated. Jesus is standing. Jesus is standing, and he's advocating. He's doing what Jesus does for us on a regular basis. He's advocating for his beloved. He's interceding for us, and I believe he's standing to welcome Stephen into glory. Jesus said, whoever acknowledges me before men, the son of man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. And that's what's happening right here in this text. Jesus is standing and acknowledging the witness and the martyrdom, the first one in the early church of Stephen and waiting to welcome him into glory. And he does the same for us, beloved. Stephen prays two different prayers here. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit and forgive those who are perpetuating this sin against me. Don't hold it against them. And it hearkens us again. He points us right back to whom? To Jesus. The same two prayers that Jesus prayed on the cross. Lord, receive my spirit. Father, receive my spirit. And don't hold this sin against them. He's witnessing to Jesus even in the end. And because of that, Stephen dies well. Because of Jesus, each of us who are Christ followers can die well. We can struggle well and suffer well in this, in this life because our peace doesn't come from circumstances, it comes from the Prince of Peace. And in the midst of all the gruesome violence and accusations and slander that are happening all around Stephen in this moment, just place yourself there for just a moment. All of the noise and the yelling and the screaming and the stones that are flying Luke simply says that Stephen fell asleep. 
perfectly at peace because he's lived well and now he dies well knowing the prince of peace who's died for him and waits for him. Could we do the same? Could you do the same today? If today's your last day, could you die well for Jesus, knowing that he stands advocating and waiting for you, looking and living to an audience of one? And then the final verse today in our text, Acts chapter eight, verse one. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. We are introduced for the first time to a young man named Saul. And of course, it will not be the last time that we read about this man. In an only God way, Saul will end up being the one to take Stephen's desire to go beyond Jerusalem and its roots of Judaism, to go beyond there to the ends of the earth. Amazingly, Saul will be the one that one day will take up Stephen's leadership baton and carry it forward. Talk about only God. And we see here the persecution of the church as well. The persecution that we've just seen of, of Stephen and it spreads. And the, and the Bible says here that a great persecution, great violence came against the church in Jerusalem. And it actually calls them to do what? To go beyond. To Judea and Samaria. And you'll remember Jesus' words in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the theme verse for the entire book of Acts. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. One writer said it this way about this text. The blood of the martyrs, and the word martyr in the Greek means witness. And Stephen is the first blood martyr, the ultimate witness for Jesus. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And so the bottom line here today for, for Stephen and for our text is if they don't have Acts 8.1, they probably don't do Acts 1.8. If Acts 8-1 doesn't happen, that is great persecution and violence against the church, great suffering, they probably don't spread out in that way as quickly and get to Acts 1-8. And it's a great uh, example and principle for each of us to take today that sometimes, sometimes God uses hard people and hard circumstances to move us to right people and right places. It took great sacrifice it took great sacrifice by Jesus first and foremost and great sacrifices by the church all throughout the years to get you to where you are today. And that's what we're celebrating today as one church, New City. The great sacrifice of Jesus and also the sacrifices of the church that's come before us that has set us up for today because this is the day to grab onto the vision of the gospel and to carry it forward in the name of Jesus and for his glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. God, as we come to your table today, would you remind each and every one of us of the great sacrifice it took to give and to grant each of us access 
to new life today because of you, Jesus. And may we live today, may we live today for an audience of one. For you, Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. The one who today, even in this moment, is advocating and interceding for us and awaiting for our arrival and glory. Now give us the wisdom to know what you're speaking to us today through your word and give us the faith to be obedient to it. In Jesus' name, amen.